Welcome to RBC's Markets in Motion podcast, recorded January 12th, 2024. I'm Lori Calvacina, Head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. Earlier this week, we updated our thoughts on the 2024 outlook for the U.S. equity market, focusing on the top 10 things we're thinking about in U.S. equities as the new year gets underway. The biggest things you need to know. First, in December, we became concerned about the possibility of a near-term pullback in the U.S. equity market, given deterioration in our sentiment work, and that remains the case today. Second, despite these near-term concerns, we remain constructive on the S&P for the full year and recently revised up our year-end 2024 price target to 5150 from 5000 Third, we see a mix of tailwinds and headwinds for U.S. equities in the year ahead. Tailwinds include valuations that can stay higher than investors realize, headwinds include highly bullish sentiment, expectations for a sluggish economy, and uncertainty around the 2024 presidential election. Fourth, we continue to see a number of problems for large-cap growth, and we give an edge to value and small caps in the year ahead. But for a rotation into value and small caps to be sustainable, U.S. economic expectations need to improve. If you've got a minute to spare on each of the top 10 things we're thinking about in equities, here's another 10 minutes in total. A little longer than usual for the podcast, but it took a break for the holidays, and we think it's worth the wait. Let's start with number one. We're constructive on a 12-month view with a revised year-end 2024 S&P 500 price target of 5150, up from 5000. When we introduced our 5000 target back in November, it represented a gain of about 10% from levels in place then. Today, our 5150 price target represents a gain of 8% versus the index's December 2023 close, making it fair to say our enthusiasm has actually come down a bit. Our new 5150 target, our base case, is the average of five different models based on sentiment, our valuation and earnings forecasts, the economy, politics, and the cross-asset dynamic between stocks and bonds. The output ranges from 4800, our bear case, to 5400, our bull case. The main thing that's changed in the math is the starting point of our analysis, given the strong move in the S&P at the end of 2023. The signals generated by our models are generally similar to what we saw back in mid-November, with the exception of our sentiment model where the signal has weakened. Moving on to number two. The sentiment setup for the stock market has deteriorated, and we're concerned about a near-term pullback. The weekly AAII investor sentiment survey has been one of the best stars in the sky to navigate the U.S. equity market with over the past year and a half. It's also been oscillating quickly. After hitting GFC lows in October 2022, and then again after the regional banking crisis, net bulls moved back to one standard deviation above the long-term average in early August. By November, net bulls had fallen to one standard deviation below the average. By December, net bulls had rebounded to one standard deviation above the average again, and that's where they're still sitting today. At current levels, this model is telling us to look for a flat S&P over the next three months and a gain of 6.4% over the next 12. It's possible net bulls will creep higher to the two standard deviation mark. That's happened several times throughout history. But we think it's more than fair to say the odds of a near-term pullback have grown. Next, number three, valuations can stay higher than many investors realize. Like many strategists, we weren't nearly constructive enough on the S&P 500 in 2023, 
but there was one model we should have paid more attention to. That was our valuation model, which uses the relationship between trailing average PEs and inflation, GDP, and interest rates dating back to the 1960s to project where the trailing PE of the S&P 500 should be at year-end based on consensus macro forecasts. That model had been calling for a year-end 2023 trailing PE in the S&P 500 of around 21 to 22 times throughout the second half of the year, and a year-end price level for the S&P 500 in the 4,700 to 4,800 range when used in tandem with our 2023 EPS forecast. Currently, this model is calling for a trailing PE at year-end 24 of 23.2 times, or 54.13 on the price when used in tandem with our latest 2024 EPS forecast of 234. This model suggests that continued declines in inflation, improving GDP in the back half of the year, Fed cuts, and moderating interest rates can support the multiple again. Moving on to number four. Our earnings outlook is good enough to justify another year of gains, but also restrains our enthusiasm on the market. We've refreshed our S&P 500 EPS model, which is based on an income statement for the S&P 500. We model revenue growth, operating margins, and interest expense using consensus forecasts for key economic variables and make some assumptions on buybacks and taxes. In our latest update, we're expecting roughly 224 for 2023 and 234 for 2024. These numbers are modestly above our prior projections. Our 2023 forecast is a bit above the bottom-up consensus forecast, and our 2024 forecast is below the bottom-up consensus. We're not too worked up about this regarding the 2024 outlook for stock market pricing, however. Many investors we've spoken with recently are bracing for disappointments on margins in particular. Our below-consensus earnings numbers still anticipate the end of the earnings recession in the S&P 500. Stocks have been moving ahead of earnings trends, telling us that ultimately 2025 expectations will drive 2024 price action, and it's not unusual for consensus estimates to start out too high. Next, number five. The greater appeal of bonds seems like a dampener of U.S. equity returns, but not necessarily a derailer of them. A fair amount of time in our December meetings was spent discussing the signal from our earnings yield gap model, which compares the earnings yield of the S&P 500, based on a bottom-up consensus forward PE, to the 10-year Treasury yield. The two have been close to parity in recent months, a departure from conditions of the post-tech bubble era in which the earnings yield has been dramatically higher than the 10-year Treasury yield. This analysis suggests U.S. equities have lost their appeal relative to bonds, a data point cited often and loudly by many bears. We don't deny the existence of this data point, but have been pointing out that throughout the 1990s, the earnings yield was fairly close to the 10-year Treasury yield, and the stock market generally did quite well during that decade. More specifically, if we look at 12-month forward returns on the S&P 500 when the earnings yield gap has been at similar levels in the past, the stock market has still tended to rise solidly. It's not until the 10-year yield far exceeds the earnings yield that stock market returns tend to be negative. Moving on to number six, we see the 2024 U.S. presidential election as a source of uncertainty in the year ahead. On average, the S&P 500 rises by about 7.5% in presidential election years, below trend and less than what we typically see in the third year of the presidential cycle. This stat tells us that in any given presidential election year, it's likely to be a source of uncertainty for the U.S. equity market. Given all of the unusual aspects of the 2024 contest, that seems like an appropriate way to think about the political backdrop for stocks in the year ahead. 
Beyond the tendency of the stock market to be weaker in presidential election years, we've been emphasizing to investors that the stock market usually has a wheat start in presidential election years, with a rally into the fall, choppiness as election day draws near, and a post-election rally. The circumstances surrounding this election are highly unusual. Biden is hurting in the polls from an inflation spike that felt as bad as a recession and disapproval over his handling of geopolitical events. Yet it remains unclear how the fight over reproductive rights and Trump's legal battles will impact turnout. We think it will be particularly difficult for Wall Street to anticipate an outcome this year. Next, number seven. The sluggish U.S. economy that many investors expect in 2024 and 2025 is another headwind to stock market performance, but this headwind has dissipated a bit. One model that we use to formulate our target is a simple one that looks at how the S&P 500 tends to perform in different real GDP ranges. Current consensus projections, as tracked by Bloomberg, call for 2023 GDP to come in at 2.4%, but for growth to slow to 1.3% in 2024 and to stay below trend in 2025 at 1.7%. Historically, in the 0-2% to range, the S&P 500's performance tends to be weak, with declines in the mid-single-digit range on an average basis and a flat move on a median basis. The good news is that 1Q24 GDP forecasts have risen, and we've seen full-year 24 real GDP views move up from 1% to 1.3% since November alone. Moving on to number eight, the new rules of thumb for the post-COVID era of investing are still emerging. We continue to think we're still in the early days of the post-COVID era. 2022-2023 has resembled the 2002-2003 or post-tech bubble time period and 2010-2011 or the post-GFC periods. In both of those, investor confidence was fragile, aftershocks from the prior crisis were plentiful, stock market trading was choppy, and investors were constantly afraid of tipping into a recession that never materialized. In this context, the fact that 2023 through 2025 GDP forecasts are still tracking at levels similar to the post-GFC period, the worst decade in modern history for GDP growth, has made us, as well as many clients we've spoken with, wonder if economists are simply being too pessimistic on the economic growth trajectory. Next, number nine. Growth still looks ripe for further tactical correction, but economic forecasts need to improve for a lasting shift in the value. In terms of tactical problems, large-cap growth continues to look crowded. The latest data from CFTC on buy-side positioning in NASDAQ futures suggests positioning has stalled around pre-2016 highs. Additionally, our work suggests value looks compelling relative to growth on a market-cap mean and market-cap-weighted median PE multiple, a fairly recent development that we didn't see throughout 2023. We also think the growth trade benefited in the fall from renewed fears of Fed hikes and rising 10-year yields, since the biggest names in the U.S. equity market, which are mostly these mega-cap growth stocks, have much cleaner balance sheets than the rest of the S&P 500. Those fears are no longer in place, allowing some initial rotation away from mega-cap growth stocks to occur. So what's next? We think economic expectations need to improve to sustain a leadership shift away from mega-cap growth. Growth typically outperforms value when real GDP is trending above 2.6% as long-term average. Value tends to work when real GDP is trending above that level. Wrapping up with number 10, we continue to see opportunities in small cap. We've liked small caps for a long time. They've looked cheap on our valuation work, both relative to history and versus large caps. And CFTC positioning data on Russell 2000 futures suggested small caps had gotten oversold a few months back. 
Small cap outperformance cycles often begin around when the unemployment rate inflects higher, and small caps tend to outperform during Fed easing cycles. Meanwhile, we've been highlighting many charts showing how small cap balance sheets are less bad than feared. We've also noted that, like value, sustainable outperformance by small caps seems likely to eventually need a ratcheting up of economic expectations, since small caps tend to underperform when GDP is running below trend. Most of those observations remain true today. One exception is that small caps no longer look oversold. On CFTC's data, buy-side positioning rose sharply in the final months of 2023 and has returned to its late 2020-2021 highs, though it remains well below its 2016 through early 2020 highs. Another exception is that the P.E. of the Russell 2000 is back to average. Neither of these data points suggest that the small cap trade is over, more that it's middle innings. That being said, we confess that we're worried about how much investors wanted to talk about small caps over the past month. In December, it felt like everyone we met with, including the many varieties of investors who are not specialized in small cap investing, wanted to talk about small caps, and most people were constructive on them. We suspect small caps have become a much bigger consensus call than the positioning data reveals. That's all for now. Thanks for listening, and be sure to reach out to your RBC representative with any questions. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.